Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Faster Masters Rowing Radio, where having a rowing coach only makes you better. Following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident sculler who's respected by your peers. You will become the athlete you want to row with. I'm Rebecca Caro, and as always, I'm joined by Marlene Royal. Hey, Marlene. Hi, Rebecca, and hello, Masters. It's been a busy week. I'm feeling that January is really kind of kicking off. Yeah, there's a lot going on, definitely. So this week, I'm going to kick off by telling you a little bit about, firstly, the photograph that I have behind me. Take a look at this. This amazing picture of a huge, great structural bridge with a sculler coming out from underneath it is called the Vasco da Gama Bridge, and it's in Lisbon in Portugal. And it was uploaded to the Masters Rowing International Group by Miguel Carvalhos. And um, he says he's rowing his coastal single there in the foreground. And I have to say, it is just a very, very dramatic image because it's one of those suspension bridges that has lots of sort of tension wires in the middle. Um, and then it's obviously an extremely long bridge. So thank you to Miguel for, uh, for letting me use that awesome image. And welcome to our live watchers. I can see a whole bunch of people suddenly coming online live. Remember, if you're watching live and you want to join the discussions, put a comment below the live stream and we'll come to your comment later. But in the meantime, please tell us where you're watching from. Yes, and this is our second week um, on a Thursday. That's right. This is the new normal. Now, the sponsorship, again, is me and my Rowing Tales book. I'm now holding up a fan of four books which span everything from the very first one, 2017, where Tonya Williams did the front cover. Here we go, 2018, where Annabelle Ayres did a matching front and back cover of men carrying the boat and eight over their heads on the back and women on the front. Then we have 2019, where Vera from Laszlo Rowboats did a wonderful stylized image of the uh, New Zealand pair. And this year, um, 2020, we have on the back cover the wonderful um, broad, I think it's copper tube and wood. the wood is um, made from oak barrels, like um, wine barrels um, by um, Glenn Colshin. And he's a sculptor and he does these wonderful sports sculptures. Um, and he let me use that image. Now, if you want to buy all four of these books, I have a special offer. You have to buy direct from me and you can get them for $48 plus shipping US or £35 UK plus shipping. And to get it, you send me an email, Rebecca at Caro.com with your postal address. And I will send you an invoice, which once you've paid, I will then send you all four of the Rowing Tales books. How about that for a deal? I say go for it. Like it's so much better reading a book, especially in the evening. Just get off the screens and open a real book. It's, it's just so much nicer. Well, thank you. That's a great compliment. And here we go, our live viewers. 
Hello from Jeanette. Oh, Jeanette has a new picture this week. Last week it was Lucille Ball on an erg, and now she has a new picture this week. Is that for real, Lucille Ball? Does she really get on an erg? Well, I don't know. Jeanette can tell us. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> Hello, Cece from Whidbey, and Happy New Year. Yeah. And Chris Ringdahl from oh, nice. in Colorado. Hello, Chris. And Mitzi. Great. Nice to see. Oh, Mitzi's in Longmount, too. Excellent. Are they nearby, Fort Collins and Longmount? I don't know. They can, if Colorado's big, so they have to tell us how far apart they are. <laughs> so, <laughs> my geography doesn't stretch to the fine detail of Colorado yet. And someone watching from Marin County. Hello, hello. Sorry, I can't see what your name is, but very, very good to have you all with us. Now, we're introducing a new segment um, to the show, which is called This Past Week. And in it, we want to talk about the sort of broader scope of what is happening in Masters Rowing around the whole world and things that our personal lives have touched over the past week. So Marlene's going to kick off. What have you done this past week? Hi, this was an, this was an interesting week. Um, most of you know me as a rowing coach, but I'm actually also a Nordic ski coach. So um, one thing that I got back into this week was teaching classical Nordic ski lessons. So in my local local community, there are a lot of people who are here this winter who have not gone down to Florida. So there's a big interest in skiing. So um, that's what I've gotten back back into, uh, which has been really kind of fun and refreshing because I need my coaching fix every week. And um, this morning I did a recording with the science of rowing guys. So I was on with, um, as a guest with Will Ruth for the science of rowing issue that will be coming out in February. And uh, we talked about a study about master's rowing and some of the very practical aspects of coaching master's rowing. So keep your eyes open for that if you are a science of rowing subscriber. And for me, next week, I have coming up an interesting event because here in Canada, we have the Rowing Canada Conference, which is virtual this year. And um, my thing for the conference this year is that I'm doing the coaching course for coastal rowing. So that's what I'm going to be doing next week. And you're doing that as a student, not as a lecturer. Yes, yes. As, a, as a student. Gwyn Batten from Britain has a very comprehensive course design. We have to watch like a ton of videos before the seminars even begin. And then there's three, three, three sessions of the seminars, you know, that each, each day. Um, and then there's some follow-up material if you want to actually get the certification. So I don't have any experience in coastal rowing whatsoever. I don't know anything about it. It's interesting. I think it's a real upcoming thing. Um, I know a lot about open water rowing because I have an open water rowing boat, but that's different. So, so I'm looking forward to like, you know, some new interesting stuff. Jeanette says the science of rowing is very informative. Yes, it surely is. If you don't know it, just Google it. It's a group of three expert strength and conditioning and physiology coaches who analyze and review sports science research as it impacts rowing. And they give you their interpretation of the scientific results. So that if you feel like myself, you're not particularly strong on the science, you get people who understand rowing to give you the insights. 
And we have another watcher from Sarasota who's rowing daily. Jealousy, jealousy. Yeah, rub it in. <laughs> Absolutely. And someone who's watching from Casper, Wyoming. You suppose the 2020 version of Rowing Tales had a bunch of blank pages due to COVID-19. Oh, no, 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 no. We have actually very few COVID tales because I actually been collecting the stories. It It's around an 18-month process. So I would like some COVID tales. But for now, actually, you were wrong. <laughs> Although it's quite funny. Now for myself this past week, I've spent a certain amount of time working in New Zealand with the Federation for how we can improve the sport for masters. And one of our big topics is when we race, we have a category called novice masters, which basically means here you are in your first year of rowing. However, our challenge is when do you synchronize the year? And at the moment, through dint of history, the year runs to the date after the National Secondary Schools Regatta, which is called Mardi Cup, which has absolutely zero relevance to the Masters season because the Masters have their national championships at the moment in September. And of course, one of the challenges that I know a lot of people are conscious of is that Masters are often parents, so they're driving their kids around or their coaches, and then they row themselves when the secondary schools are not rowing and they're not coaching. And if we have our novice year running to this particular date, it cuts off opportunity for a large number of people who learn to row in our late summer, early autumn, which is sort of through to sort of April, May time. So we've been having a public consultation about whether we could change the rules of racing, which is a big undertaking because it has to go nationally to every province, which where we have provincial rowing associations, and then they get to vote at the annual general meeting of Rowing New Zealand membership. So it's quite a big job. So I've been working on that. And if anyone who's listening has some views on novice rowing in New Zealand, please you know, let me know and let me know what your club thinks and when your club has its novice master's intake when you learn, do your learn to row programs? Because I believe that that actually influences when an awful lot of people are actually in their first year of rowing. Now, the second thing that has come to me uh, this week is the fact that you get the behaviors you tolerate. Now, that sounds like such a truism, but on a rowing camp recently, a certain individual was late for every single training session. And it was robustly but politely pointed out to them that they their five minutes tardiness was affecting nine other people, the coach plus the Cox plus the seven other people in the eight. And of course, over the course of two or three sessions a day, that adds up to like 100 minutes, which is a hell of a lot. And in your group, I always know in any training group, there are behaviors that some people like and some people don't like. And some of them negatively affect the whole of the group. And as a consequence, it's my belief that although this isn't always a pleasant thing to do, it's very worthwhile addressing those behaviors. In my group, because of COVID, we have had to change how we behave in turning up to the boathouse. 
you're not allowed now just to turn up, unlock the boathouse and go rowing. We have to log in through an online calendaring app, uh, which we use in order to schedule outings, to do crew lineups and boat allocations so that, you know, you don't turn up and take out a boat that someone else you know, thinks that they should be having. And this has forced quite a lot of us single scholars to be a little bit more disciplined <laughs> in planning how we go when we're down at the club. And so little things like that, I just offer as an insight, you get the behaviors you tolerate. Yes, we have to remember, and it's part of our mindfulness, right? <laughs> but yeah, but, you know, but it is, but it isn't, it, it, it is an issue for elite rowers. Mm -hmm. It is an issue for master's rowers when every minute on the water is precious. And, yeah. and I would say that also includes being really slow on the dock. Like that's one of my pet peeves. Oh. Fix, fix your shoes on the water. Get in the boat and get off the dock. Get off the dock. You know, it shouldn't take, you know, we count to 1,000 before you're off the dock. So, you know, just thing, things like that that chip away at your water time, you know, just inefficiencies like that. So I, I like rules like that. <laughs> we are finding a big chip away at our water time is swan poo. Oh. We are having to shovel shit literally. And we have had a new high pressure hose installed to spray it off. And now one of my colleagues, bless him, has got a junior in his office to design a beautiful poster with a swan with a red line through it. And the swan has a steaming pile <laughs> behind oh, nice. it. Yeah. Maybe you should walk your boats in the water. Maybe that would be easier. It's hard uh, because it's actually oh. not a bank that you can slope. Remember, our lake is a flooded, extinct volcano. So it oh, actually nice. slopes off really quickly. You, you, you can't quite do that. <laughs> <laughs> that could Marlene's off on a little giggle all of her own. <laughs> Never mind. At least it doesn't start bubbling. <laughs> no, no, no. It doesn't start bubbling and exploding while we're rowing. That would be that would be a challenge, wouldn't it? Yeah. We've got an explosion coming. <laughs> <laughs> a dangerous place to row. Listen, I used to row on, on the Sea of Galilee, right, in Tiberias in Israel, and that is the lowest place on earth that you can row a boat. So it's a big it's crater. Well it's a big it's a big crater too. So yeah. But anyway, <laughs> back to serious business now. Back to serious business. <laughs> I love it though. So our first big topic is about synchronizing schedules or getting diary alignment or schedules if you're American. And this is a particular challenge in group organization and crew organization. And I brought this up because we have found that busy people lead busy lives and it can be really, really hard to organize a time to go rowing together. So I'm going to offer just a few little insights. Some of these are things that my crewmates have had to negotiate with their partners and their babysitters and their work colleagues. So one thing that we have done is we've tried to find a regular day or days each week. So we have an eight that has been trying to go out on a Sunday and sometimes on a Wednesday before work. And we've realized that in order to get eight people on the water with a coxswain, you need 12 to 15 people in the group. That's just been our fact of life. 
And the other one has been a quad where we have varying commitments. And so, again, with the quad, we have one lady who can only ever do a Friday morning and alternate weekends and other people who have slightly different requirements. There's somebody who has to be home. They have to leave the boathouse at seven o'clock in the morning so that they're home in time to overlap with their partner going off to work and the kids. So these are if these are sort of familiar issues for you, what we've done is we've tried to make them as fixed in our calendars as we can. But what we've then done is we've extended the group so that we can fill the extra seats. And with our quads, it's been quite interesting. The quad that I row in most frequently has a 37-year-old, a 48-year-old, a 52-year-old, and myself at 55. So we're a range of ages and life stages. But what we've realized in our group is that we also have other people who are in approximately the right age groups to race a B quad, a C quad, a D quad, and an E quad. And you could change just one person in the team lineup and go into a different age category. So rather than stressing over the fact that the core four of us can't always make the outing, what we've done is we've embraced the concept of having a flexible roster, which starts around the core of us, but then we have other people that we can bring in. So if the youngest person can't make it, can we get someone else in who can make it into a C quad for us instead of, uh, sorry, into a B quad instead of a, a C, or make it into a D quad instead of a C? So I just offer that as something that might be an inspiration for you to see if you can get some regularity. I know it's nice to row with the same people all the time, but I also recognize as a leader in my rowing club that actually inclusivity really matters and inviting people into your crew is a fantastically generous gesture. And it also really helps more people to feel that they're part of the bigger picture and that your club isn't just cliquey, you only wanna row with your friends. I don't know, Marlene, have you had experiences of cliquey rowing clubs? There are. I mean, not that I have personally belonged to, simply because I must say, you know, I was coaching in a professional camp situation for 25 years. So I actually did not belong to a rowing club for, for a very, very, very long time um, until I, I am a member of regularly of the club down in Englewood, Florida. And that's a pretty open, really friendly club, mostly 100% masters and predominantly recreational. So it's a really low key club. And my home club, um, no, we haven't had any issues like that. It's everything, everybody's new, you know, everybody's new. So um, I think uh, it, it just hasn't really come up, but we don't have, we don't have big divisions in experience levels and things like that. So, um, but I know a ton of stories and, and, you know, clicky clubs can rip clubs apart. And, and there are cities in the United States, which will remain nameless where, where there tends to be, a lot of volatile <laughs> club activity and these clubs like they split like atoms, you know, yep. so 
um, that you know it does it does happen and and if there is not good leadership in a in a group particularly in a master's group or um, any competitive type of program if there's not good leadership and and you and there starts feeling some volatile energy there um, things things can just shatter you know I've seen clubs fall apart in a matter of 24 hours <laughs> from coast to coast so you know it, it it can definitely it can definitely happen so so mm -hmm. I mean keeping people all working together is a huge part of the leaders of the club and it's a huge responsibility of the coaches to create that environment you know so depend yeah. you know it's a big dynamic for sure it is and interestingly the last time we had a, a committee discussion around this was when it was pre-covid and it was suggested that some people didn't want to row at seven o'clock on the weekends and would prefer to row at 8 30. and uh, a view was put forward with some support that this would divide the group because you, if you were a regular seven o'clocker, you'd never meet the eight thirty group. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it yeah it, it's now changed um, because particularly midweek there are people whose work schedules because of COVID are much more flexible, mm -hmm. and so um, now we basically allow you when you sign up, you can say, "Hey, I'd like to be rowing with Marlene, and we'd like to go out at." at 7 a.m. and I'm going to be rowing with so-and-so and we'd like to go out at nine. And that's now much more acceptable. But it's been interesting that it was previously seen as a really big no-no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it depends on how the club – it depends on many factors, how big the club is, what kind of equipment is available, what are the goals of the program, what are people training for. So, Yeah, absolutely. We have a, a listener remark from Jeanette who says winter is here now, but this past summer we had to follow a sign-up schedule. And she said, I loved it because there was no wasted water time. Oh, yeah. It's, it, for masters, it's huge. I mean, your water time, you have very limited time. And it's extremely important, as I said, if you're wasting five or ten minutes to get on the water, you're wasting water time. You know, you can get off the dock in three minutes. Is that so? Yes, it is. <laughs> I time my rowers. I'm like, you guys, you're taking too long. You know, so you time them. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like a fire drill, right? <laughs> Here's a, another fun remark from Cece. He says, "My schedule problem is getting the tide to sync up with the wind." Yeah, I have a lot of respect for that because mm -hmm. if you can only row at certain states of the tide. You're, you're tied, ha-ha, right. unintended. Yeah. <laughs> and we have another viewer from Maine. Hello, hello, Maine. Now we're going to move on to our second big topic for this week's episode, which is about injuries. Now, we haven't talked about injuries for quite some time, but Marlene, what brought this to mind when you suggested it? Um. I've seen in my work with individual athletes later lately, um, I've seen a huge increase in injuries, way more than I've seen in 20 years, um, a, as far as a, a percentage. So um, this becomes alarming 
and and it also means okay you know we have to do a lot to we have to heal from the injury we have to rehab from the injury we have to progress you know so there's a lot there's a lot of planning and work that goes into getting an athlete back on track and rebuilding and and rebuilding this whole you know one solving the issue but then then the whole rebuilding of the return to rowing rowing process but my main concern what i wanted to talk about today was that in the last two to three months, I have seen a, a very large increase in injuries, and they have not been related to their training program. Okay, these things have not happened like overtraining or things like that. What what does seem to be happening is um being a little bit careless on land. So so my message here today is remember that your body is very fragile and it's very easy to get, even though you feel great and you're in great shape and you feel invincible, it doesn't take much to really derail things really, really quickly. And, um, and, and what I've been seeing is a lot of accidents, accidental injuries. And these this might be something like, um, oh, I spent, I spent all day Sunday doing a lot of yard work and I was really tired and I knew I should have taken Monday off, but instead I went out and rode and did intervals. And so after that injury, this particular athletes ha had a history of a disc problem that was being very, very quiet and manageable, completely flared it up again. And now we're three, four months into that process because of what we call overreaching. When, when you know, you're in a fatigued state and you think, no, no, it's okay, I can really go do this, but then it doesn't happen. We get what's called tissue fatigue, something lets go. That's, that's one example. Um, renovating the kitchen and rushing because something's gotta be done because somebody's coming and somebody turns too quickly and twists their knee. And then uh. that, that takes six to eight weeks to heal. Um, uh, you know, these types of injuries, silly things like I reached down uh, to the floor to pick up a book and mm -hmm. felt something go in my back, but it was after I had done X, 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 and X. So you, you start to get the idea or, or just being a little bit, not picking your boat up, you know, leaning, you know, the farther you lean away from your body to pick something up. Yeah, the load increases exponentially on your spine. Um, if you don't, if you bend through your spine and you don't move through your hips and your shoulders, the ball and socket joints are designed to move, right? Spines are not really designed to move all that much. Um, you know, you put things things at risk, but it it might be el an elbow issue. But oftentimes, what I'm seeing is that these are things that are related to um, poor judgment. Just, you know, you're tired, you know, you should have backed off or you should just slow down and be a little bit more mindful of your emotions and how are you moving your body on the erg, off the erg, in the boat, off the boat. It's also very common that people are very good about their monitoring their body positions when they're training yeah. and, they're, and they're careless in their everyday life. So how many times in your everyday life you have to pick something up or you have to rake or you have to vacuum 
or you have to move objects or yard work. It's all important. And, and you know, I've just seen a really big increase of, um, or changing, you don't normally sweep, you're a scholar, and then you get in a sweep boat and they do a hard workout and you're twisting and all of a sudden now you have a disc injury. So just my, my, my takeaway here is just be careful all the time, not, not just, not just in the boat and, and in the gym, because, you know, then we have to recover. Everybody can recover, but it takes yeah. time. Jeanette, who's watching says she is guilty of this. Thank you for confessing in public. You didn't have to do that. No, but she's getting better and she's working very hard at it. So now I had interesting that you raised this topic, Marlene, because I literally had this exact example yesterday morning. I was going out in my single and there's a rack of seven singles, you know, vertically stacked. And I have talked about this before, but I have a conventionally rigged steer stern mounted wing on my single. And the person who has the boat two below me has a, a bow mounted rigger. And we've been quietly collaborating to try and ensure that everybody puts their boat in with the wing facing the same way. And luckily, there's enough room in the boathouse we can do this. But yesterday, one of the club members, not a master's group member, had used a club boat and put it back the wrong way around. So you end up with this perfect triangle with two gates of one above the other. And I can't get the, the there are stairs that I, steps I walk up to, to get to my boat. I can't get them close enough so that I can get a, a purchase on the boat. And as you exactly said, the further you lean away, and it was really interesting. I went up the steps, I tried to position them. I even had like one of the um, gates and the oarlocks underneath the top step and one overlocking on the second step. And I was oh. looking at it going, that's really daft, because if you fall off that, you're going yeah, to yeah. really... And my brain said, I'm in a rush to get on the water. And luckily, I overrode it, pulled the steps away, took the other single out of the boathouse, turned it around 180 and put it back on the rack the other way around. Then it was easy. Yes. Yeah. But I know, you know, you're in a rush and you're thinking, oh, I've got to do this. But if you weigh the consequences and then next time, because that that's happened um, where I keep my boat as well. And and just there's one person who always put their boat in the wrong way. Yeah. And finally, I said, can you please put your boat in the right way? It's just nothing. A bow rigger boat, it's different because you're lining up the riggers. But this person put the boat in the same stern mounted rigger, but always putting the boat in the wrong way. And I'm like, can't you see that every other boat is in this way? And you're putting, it's like, you don't put your coat hanger this way, you put your coat hanger this way. Okay, so. And just, the toilet roll. I think there's a, there's a very long standing debate about which way. It, it should come off the front. Do you know how they settled that? Oh. They looked up the original patent applications and they oh, found the, the line drawing, this really sweet Victorian line drawing. That's beautiful. That's kind Sorry. of like, do, do, you know, I, I mean, everybody probably knows this, but when you live in the northern hemisphere, the water in the toilet bowl goes to the right. And when you live in the southern hemisphere, the water in the toilet bowl goes to the left. So you know, that that kind of freaked me out the first time I went to Brazil. So it's 
the Coriolis effect. And actually, it's a really weak force. And I've always had it explained as being a bathtub rather than a loo. But actually, if you just swirl your finger around the plug hole of the bathtub, you can make it swirl in the opposite direction. Because I did this the very first time I was in Australia. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to see the water it really works <laughs> i know i know the more most interesting thing is to look up to the sky and see a completely different constellation of stars that that's that's quite different when you go to the southern hemisphere it is and if people have mobile phones there's a wonderful app called night sky and you can literally hold your phone up and it'll tell you what constellations are directly overhead and you can angle your phone even to stuff that's below the horizon and it'll tell you what constellations are there and what you're seeing. It's brilliant. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. And I'm very fortunate in New Zealand, we have a place called Mackenzie Country, which is in the middle of the South Island that has been designated by the UN as a place of... Um, like na uh, like national like, heritage. No, it's like, yeah. like a... Yeah, and it's it's because it has very little artificial light. The night sky is the highest possible viewing quality. Um, and it helps that it's a mountain plateau. So it's mm -hmm. very high um, above the earth anyway. Um, but it's just, it's, I'm trying to remember. It's yeah, World Heritage. World Heritage sites. That's yeah. what it's called. And yeah, if you want, cool. yeah. yeah. If you want to spend a bit of time and an idle moment, go onto Wikipedia and take a look at all of the World Heritage sites. Because there are some very obvious ones like the pyramids in Giza and, and things like that and the Taj Mahal. But then there are also some really, really amazing, unusual ones. And I kind like, of think if you're thinking about a bucket list and possibly when we can travel again, it's really inspirational. Yeah, Samarkand, for example, is beautiful. And there was an issue once, this is a little off topic, but there was an issue once of National Geographic that had the 100 places that you must visit in your lifetime. Yeah. And Craftsbury Common, where Craftsbury Sculling Center is, is one of those 100 places. Uh-huh. And you've been there, obviously, a lot. Yeah, for like 25 years. Right? So, but, uh, but it's interesting that it, it, it's one of those classic Victorian Vermont villages, but it's so incredibly scenic. And if anyone wants to see what it looks like, watch the movie, um, oh, Something with Harry. It's an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Um, mm -hmm. And it's filmed in Craftsbury, Business with Harry, or something like this. And, it, and it's filmed in Craftsbury Common. So if you want to see it, it's from the 1950s, Trouble with Harry. It's a, it's a mystery, Alfred Hitchcock mystery, and it's filmed in Craftsbury. So it's quite, it's quite funny. If you want to see what Craftsbury looks like before you go to sculling camp there, take a look at the movie, Trouble with Harry. Fantastic. <laughs> so. Now we have some um, uh, new joiners. Claudia, hello. Nice to see you. And Tony has joined us from Sherbrooke. Marlene, remind me, where is Sherbrooke? Right near me, right near me oh, here in Quebec, yeah. about about 30 minutes from me, yeah. And Jose Mardones Guerrero, Guerrero, thank you. My pronunciation isn't good. Jose, nice to meet you. Or Jose, if you're um, Portuguese, help me out. Is this man likely to be Portuguese or Spanish? Mm, he has to tell us. He has to tell us. He hasn't got any accents, just for the people who are listening and not, not watching. Now, we have a 
question from Mike, who is watching live, and he's asking us, are there any good videos that can explain all of the basics to a never or never, never or someone who has never sculled before? Yes, Mike, there are lots and lots and lots, but I'm going to caveat. Some of them are not stylistically what I personally would advocate. What about you, Marlene? You know what? Well, Mike, Mike and I have coached together a lot. Mike is from Sagamore Rowing mm -hmm. Club, and, and he is also a great follower of Jim Joy's work. Um, you know what? I'm, I had to, I have to say, Mike, like I'm totally blanking out and <laughs> like thinking of one, one video. That's a really good overview. Um, for a never, I mean, one one video that I really liked, um, Craftsbury did a, a video series a long, long time ago. Um, I think they're on DVD that were that were good, but but on YouTube or something, eesh, you know, I, there isn't any one I think that I can think of, or I'm just spacing out. Mike, I think the challenge is, given that you're a coach, and I'm sorry, I didn't know that. Yes, I can give you a really, really good video that you can then explain to your athlete. And it's one that I use a lot when I am teaching uh, beginners. There's a sadly deceased coach in Australia called, um, uh, his surname's Garrett. Sorry, I've forgotten his first name. And he did a really beautiful slow motion video of an elite male athlete sculling in a single. And it's really good for helping illustrate things like hand positions, when to feather, how to tap down on the recovery and hold your blades at a high balance, when to square, how the body sequencing works. But there is no commentary over the top of it. So for me, I use that a lot, and I will put the link in the show notes. It's Nick Garrett. Uh, he was from Mosman Rowing Club in Australia. And I use this video over and over, partly because it's it was filmed in slow motion so that it's very much clearer for the watcher how to uh, sequence their body patterns. But also, because there is no commentary, it allows you as the coach to put your own coaching spin on it and to use it to introduce to the athlete the thing that you're working on. One of the frustrations that I have, and I 100% know why this is, is that people explain rowing in very different ways. Nothing wrong with that. We're all teachers and teachers have, have teaching styles. And we also are pedants and we have bits of the rowing stroke that we're more or less you know, focused on. My challenge is that often when I see rowing explanation videos on YouTube, the words used are imprecise. The descriptions are not wholly accurate. And as a result, I have a tendency to dismiss the entire video because the educational element is not of sufficiently good standard or the demonstration is not of a sufficiently good standard. And if any of you watch the videos that Marlene and I put together as part of our paid Faster Masters program, as part of the Faster Five, stroke technique is one of the Faster Five. It's one of the big pillars off which we build all of our coaching advice. And you can get the Faster Five on our website. 
any time. But this challenge of a very clear demonstration plus a very clear explanation of what you're seeing is essential. And then, of course, the coaching challenge is how do you get the athlete themselves moving in that pattern? So seeing a pattern and being able to do it yourself is a whole other broadcast. Anything to add, Marlene? No, I think that's good. <laughs> so, I was, well, but, it's, but I mean, it's it's good that Mike Mike brings us up because Mike is a very um, he's a very very detailed teacher, and and he he's a very he's a very good teacher. So I I and I know he has um, he really spends a lot of time, and he's actually got a, a very a YouTube channel where he shows some phenomenal footage of different different things that's just just terrific um but yeah finding that that the video that is simple enough and accurate enough that it's that you you can just help the person focus on one thing you know it's it it mm -hmm. takes a lot of skill to to do that it's sort of like you have to be a Hemingway of novice rowing kind of so <laughs> Yeah, that, that's certainly true. So I, I, I obviously need to go take a look at your um, YouTube channel. But in the meantime, I'm just trying to search for the link um, and see if I can add that. Here we go. Here it is. I found it. So I'm just going to paste that here into the chat, Mike. So if you're watching live, you can see it. And I'll also put it on the screen here. Um, there, there is um, on the World Rowing site. If if you're just trying to to introduce sculling to people, there's a very very nice introduction to sculling technique. Um, it's kind of it's almost like a sem one of those semi animated type of videos. But there's a very yeah. very good video. It's a very good video clip if you want to show somebody the good basics. Um, yeah. and that that's on the World Rowing and actually in the. I was browsing through there the other day and and in the coaching section there is an incredible amount of free material on the world yeah. rowing site. I mean it's it's just amazing. They even have chapters written in Russian there. So I was I was really it was really quite quite interesting and I hadn't looked at it in a while but you know the there's a lot of for coaches a lot of good good information there too. Mm. So for those watching live, I've just put two YouTube links into the chat, um, which you can go look at. Um, I, I, they are, in my view, a good demonstration. Um, and as I said, they're, they're quite cute because they're very old videos. They're like from like 2004. Um, and so they, they are, they're a smaller format. Um, so here we go. Yeah, Nick Garrett put that one up. March 2010 was one of them. So there you go. Something for people to watch. Um, your homework. It's what I use actually when I'm doing the homework for the uh, for the Learn to Row program. Righty-ho. I think we've come to the end of our hour, except it isn't an hour. It's 43 minutes, but it's been absolutely brilliant. Welcome back, everybody. Glad you can make the new scheduled time that we have chosen for the live podcast. And for those who don't watch live, please subscribe. We'd love to have more listeners. And if you subscribe, you can do it at rowing.chat. 
alternatively, if you want to get the newsletter from Faster Masters Rowing, go to fastermastersrowing.com. The newsletter sometimes includes a summary of what we've talked about on the podcast, and it also includes some other aspects of uh, rowing that Marlene and I are describing, and sometimes a little bit of a sales pitch for our paid services. Um, and that can be useful. One last comment from a listener. I checked out Mind Over Waters at the local library and I found the book to be helpful and it was also free. So, oh, Mind Over Waters written by Craig Lambert. He was a great oh, Cambridge Boat Club member. And um, so it, it is quite a nice, it is quite, quite a nice book. Yeah, it certainly is. So till next time, this was Faster Masters Rowing Radio. We're having a rowing coach. Only make rowing a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident sculler who's respected by your peers. You can become the athlete you want to row with. Until next time, bye-bye.